We are continuing our series in Proverbs here this morning. And as we have been seeking the Lord and what it means to live a righteous life and to live righteously before Him in all areas of our lives and seeing how our faith is expressed and manifested in, in every different sphere, here this morning we come to the issue of making money and as Proverbs lays out, what the, how the righteous do so and honor the Lord with their wealth. Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for the outpouring of your Spirit in our midst, that we might see the glory of your creation, the wonder of who you are as the Creator, our God, our Sustainer, our Provider. And Lord, that through your Word you would send your Spirit to work in our hearts, that we would honor you with the blessings that you have given to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be a person that says, I don't care about money. And maybe that's true. You're a person that you don't pay much attention to it. You may be a person that you don't really care how much money is in your bank account or what your retirement projections are or what the rate of return is on your investment accounts if you have those. Maybe you don't care and aren't concerned about those too much. But do you care about how healthy you are? Do you care about being able to see a doctor when you're sick or in the midst of an emergency um, being able to have that emergency abated? When a family member is in the midst of a tragedy, can you get there? And if you get there, can you help them in a meaningful way? Do you care what kind of food you eat? What kind of food your children eat? When you've had a crazy week and you don't have any groceries in the home, are you, are you able to order takeout for dinner that night? Do you, are you concerned about what your children do? What type of education they have? What type of sports they're engaged in or music or other, other activities, do you, are you concerned about how comfortable your home is or that you have a place for your family to be that's safe and secure? Do you care about what technology you operate with? Whether or not your family goes on a vacation and, and what you do on that vacation and coming into the Christmas season, whether or not you're going to get your family, um, get your family or extended family Christmas presents. Are you concerned about how much, money you, how much money you have when the day comes that you can't work anymore? Or to give gifts to other people? Are you concerned for Christ's calls in the world and the advancement of his church and, and sending missionaries to the end of the globe? There is very little that we are concerned about that isn't impacted by money. I mean, indeed, money is the blood that circulates through all that you care about. It is the blood, it is the currency that makes things go around and happen. And so since Proverbs is addressing all these areas of life that we've been examining, Proverbs speaks abundantly as the scripture as a whole with what we do with this one thing that circulates through everything that we care about, our money. So as we begin to look at this and making money and how Proverbs calls us to it and how the righteous do so, first thing in this passage, that, or first Proverbs series of Proverbs we'll look at identifies this principle. As the scripture calls us to seek money worship, worshipfully. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. Proverbs views money as a blessing, and it quite frankly views money as a good thing. That the blessing of the Lord makes rich. Now when it says rich here, we need to understand what this means in the context of at, the, at this day and at this time. Is that, what does it mean to be rich in an agrarian society? 
in an agricultural-based society in which there is no middle class. What does it mean to be rich? Well, it means that you have good crops. It means that your flocks are reproducing and you haven't had too many die off, either due to disease or oppression from somebody else. It means to be rich, it means that your family is well-fed and that you have a stable farm that you're able to pass on to your children for their, so that they would have a livelihood and that they would have an income. Is that when Scripture in Proverbs is talking about rich, and we'll see this word used here many times this morning, it is not speaking of the luxurious wealth that we tend to think of with the rich. It's not even speaking of the luxurious wealth that most of us live in day in and day out. The other thing that we need to say here as we're seeking money worshipfully is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. What that means is that if you have a money problem, the answer is the Lord. The answer is not money. Is that, as the Lord, is that money comes from the Lord, that he is the provider. You don't provide for you. Your employer doesn't provide for you. The government doesn't provide for you. God is the one who provides for you. And so if you have an issue with money, it's that you have an issue with the Lord. Now, I mentioned that Proverbs views money as a good thing. Well, why does it have a positive view? In fact, I would even argue that through Scripture, money is, used, money is viewed and wealth is viewed rather positively. That might be a shock to some of you because you'd say, wait a second, doesn't Scripture say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil? And and yes, it does. But this proverb here is rooted, is given to the people of God in whom God's Spirit has been at work, given to the people of God who understand the story of what God is doing in this world. They understand that there is a God over the universe who is the creator of this world. And when God created this world... He created it for wealth, and he made the world with vast potentials for wealth creation. You see, the Bible is uniquely positive about creation. In the ancient Near East, other pagan religions at the time that this was written, other other pagan religions, what they would argue and they'd say their story is that this earth, this material world, you yourself came about as the result of a battle between good gods and bad gods. And the carnage of that battle was you. And so it is seen as a byproduct of this world. The Greeks would argue that the material world is a contaminated barrier between spirituality and the good spiritual things, so we need to get past it, but the created world is a bad thing. But what Scripture argues and says is no, is that God created this world. It was his world that he made, and he made it, and he, and he put mankind in it to cultivate the creation, to develop it, to exercise dominion over it, to rule over it, to create wealth, to make creation and mankind flourish to its fullest potential. And you see this in the opening chapters of Scripture, is that God created a world in which there was varied and different financial opportunities. He created a world in which there were different vocations. And God said, be fruitful and multiply, and the plan for mankind to spread over the face of the earth. There were mountains, and there were some who went to, went to, to, to villages along the sea. There were others who went to, the village, um, went to the settlement along the river in Genesis chapter 2.11. And the description of that land is that that was the land where gold was. And it wasn't just any gold, but it was good gold. And there, in God's creation, that that area of land had gold, had precious metals in it. Well, what happens with all this stuff? 
I mean, what happens when a person who is on top of the land that has gold wants to build a home? Well, he needs to get trees from the land where there are good cedars in the land of Lebanon. And after he builds his house, if he wants to eat, he needs to exchange to get fish from those who are on the seafaring ports and make their living by being fishermen. Is that embedded in the created order, God has these God has put in these vast potentials for wealth creation, and the expectation is that through mankind's development, through man's work, through man's cultivation of the created order, through God-fearing exchange and economic activity, that through all of this would be the flourishing of humankind in the whole created order. That God made us, he designed us to build and to cultivate And now to restore the brokenness in this world, ultimately for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people, for the flourishing of all of creation. Now this idea about money and that God created the world with vast sums of wealth to be developed and to to flourish is probably stands in stark contrast. Some of you are hearing this and saying, you know, I've, I've never heard any Christian talk about things this way before. Part of that is because in most political discourse about wealth, um, and certainly in most Christian discourse about money and about wealth and about where money comes from, most of them operate on the basis of something that's called the zero-sum fallacy. And what the zero-sum fallacy is, is this, is that there is a fixed amount of wealth in the world. And so if someone has become wealthy, they have become wealthy necessarily because somebody else has become poorer. That if a person's piece of the, if they have a bigger piece of pie, it's because they have taken that piece of pie from somebody else. And that's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is that if someone has a bigger piece of pie, it's because the pie has gotten bigger. It's that the pie itself has grown. That the created order was made for vast, with vast potentials for wealth creation. And God put people who were made in his image, people who were workers made in the image after a worker God, made people to be economic engines of productivity, developing the creation for human flourishing and the flourishing of the whole created order. And as people, as who are created in God's image, we are to reflect the image of our God, the image of a worker God who uses his vast blessings, who uses his vast resources to bless others, that we would in our sharing and blessing others, would look more like the ultimate sharer who is God himself. And so is in this context of God saying, this is the world that I have created. This is the world that I have put you over that you would cultivate and exercise dominion and, and flourish and make prosper. It is in this context that Proverbs says, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. So if you have wealth, there is no other reason It is not because of you, it is because of God. It is because of the blessing of the Lord. And notice that the second half of this verse, and he adds no sorrow with it. That is, is that if you are making, if you make money through the Lord's blessing, there's no sorrow. There's no guilt. You don't have to, um, you don't have to bend the rules. You don't have to fear and audit. You can keep your promises, including your financial promises that you've made. You don't have to overwork. Your conscience is clear and that you have make money in order to share with others, to bless others as God has blessed you. And there is great joy in that. And as Proverbs would say, there is no sorrow. 
that the blessings of the Lord make rich. And so make money or seek money worshipfully. It's to seek it in the context that we worship the creator God who has given us the wealth that we have. Second thing is to earn it honestly. Earn money honestly. Better is little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Is that Proverbs, in acknowledging that the, that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, holds to that there is a fundamental order to be present in our lives. That there are things that are far more important than our wealth and financial status. That the blessings of the Lord comes through God's grace to us. That first and foremost, what is important in our lives is our worship of God in relationship with Him. And that our worship of God is then manifested in a life of righteousness and a life of integrity and a life of diligent work that is reflective of a God-fearing character. Where our worship and our character are not compromised for every dollar that we earn, which is earned in the face, is ultimately earned in the face of God. So to earn money honestly. But how does that happen? How does God actually put money into our pockets? How does God actually make that happen? Proverbs 10.4 lays it out for us. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. The hand of the diligent, that God made us to work. That he made us to thrive when we work. That our bodies, our souls, our emotions, our relationships are healthy when we are engaged in productive and fruitful work, when we have something to share and to bless other people with, when we are engaged in an activity that is producing and cultivating human flourishing. The first half of that verse says, a slack hand causes poverty. Now in Proverbs, um, and indeed most particularly clearly in the Old Testament, actually in the New Testament as well, but Proverbs in particular makes a very strong distinction between those who are in poverty due to calamity those who are in poverty due to injustice or oppression, and those who are in poverty due to their laziness. And for those who are in poverty due to injustice, oppression, or calamity, or tragedy, Proverbs urges, can, urges those who have something to give quite generously to those who are in poverty because of an unjust state. But for those, and for those who are in poverty, if you're here and you're in poverty because of an, of an oppression and injustice of a tragedy in your life, there is no shame in that. There is no, there is no, um, there is no shame, there is no embarrassment over that. But if you are in poverty because you're lazy, because you're unwilling to work, there is disgrace to that. And that is shameful. And if you... As Ray Ortland puts, he says, if you're not going anywhere financially because you haven't disciplined yourself and worked hard and made good use of your time and brains, then you need to repent. The issue is that if God has entrusted you and he has made you as a worker and if you are in poverty because of your laziness, you need to turn to the Lord and repent and trust in him and live your life for him and find your worth and value in him and strive to honor the Lord with what he has entrusted you to. So too, but how does the Lord do this? Proverbs twelve eleven. How does He make give us wealth? Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. 
But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Worthless pursuits are one who is, we would say, chasing dreams, one who is running after windmills, one who is saying, oh, I'm not going to work because I'm going to go, I've got this idea, I'm going to go pursue this idea. And notice in 12.11 that, that the worthless pursuits are contrasted with the person who works his land. Notice the, contra- the implication of the contrast there. That one who works his land, that a farmer is being contrasted with a worthless pursuit. That the farmer is engaged in a worthwhile pursuit. That the farmer is doing something that is worthwhile and beneficial. Well, how does the farmer who who engages in this worthwhile pursuit, how is it that he ends up with plenty of bread? He does so because he goes back and forth, and he tills his field, and he goes back and forth, diligently plowing his land, sowing his seeds, cultivating his crops, harvesting them. It is through his diligent labor, through his earning it honestly, that this occurs. For each one of you here is that your job is a track of land that God has given you for you to work, a track of land for you to cultivate. And the resources that are entrusted to you are there for, entrusted to you for you to develop into human flourishing. What Proverbs is urging us here is how do you earn it? How does the Lord make rich? By earning it honestly. But Proverbs also speaks very starkly about how the Lord does not make rich, and rather how the wicked try to get wealth and try to gain rich. How does the Lord not make rich? He, does not, he urges us to earn money honestly, not through corruption. The getting of treasure by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor in a snare of death, saying that those who are trying to get wealthy through stealing, through lying, through deception, not only is that wicked, but ultimately will come, them, come upon themselves and is a snare of death. So too, the wicked earns deceptive wages, that is, he lies, cheats, and steals to get more money. But the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. reward. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. Unequal weights, that is, that is cheating, making it look like one thing but cheating to your advantage. It says unequal weights are an abomination. That's an incredibly strong word. The word abomination is used for incest, It's used for sorcery. It's used for idolatry and and all other forms of extreme sexual perversion are are abominations. And cheating your money. It's an incredibly strong statement. It's an abomination. And so you might be one that you've never engaged in sorcery. You've never engaged in sorcery. You've never committed incest. But if you're cheating on your money, it's an abomination before the Lord. So too, to earn it honestly not through corruption, earn it honestly not through coercion. The the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. The issue here is price gouging. That is one who is selfishly hoarding up, hoarding his resources to drive up the price of what he holds. And in particularly in this context, grain was not a luxury. Grain was basic to survival. It was basic to others' income potential and their own economic development. And someone who is having the grain is using that and manipulating, manipulating the market, manipulating other people at the source of human need. And so you see in this the stark contrast between the way that the righteous manage their wealth and get wealthy and the way that the wicked do so. 
Bruce Waltke says this, this is the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. And the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community in order to advantage themselves. But to earn money honestly, not through corruption, not through coercion, and not through greed. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. That is, to be greedy is to covet what another person has, even if you've got way more money than they do. To want it and to be coveting what they want and to manipulate, to cheat, to cause strife to your personal financial advantage. To earn it honestly, not through greed. Earn it honestly, not through get-rich-quick schemes. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens, that is, tries to get rich quick, whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. That the way that God gets us ahead is by little by little, a long obedience in the same direction. It's not by windfuls, but it's by handfuls. And notice on these verses here, these Proverbs verses on your screen, the implicit condemnation of gambling. And here for gambling, gambling, the lottery, take your pick on these issues, but with gambling, gambling is not a gray issue for Christians. This is not an area of Christian liberty. This is something that is categorically sinful of which Christians should have no part whatsoever. I'm serious. This is not gray. I've talked to so many Christians say, well, you know what? I was, we're going to go out anyway. We're going to spend money. And so instead of spending money on, you know, for going to see a show, we're just going to go on and gamble, gamble. That's fine. I understand what you're saying. It's wrong and it's sinful. And you don't need to hide that from me. What you need to do is you need to repent. You need to turn to the Lord and repent of the sin and trust in him to honor, it with, honor the Lord with your wealth. Is that you seek money worshipfully you make money honestly, and you earn, and I'm sorry, and you, you make money honestly, or you earn your money honestly. Finally, is that you manage money faithfully. The scripture calls us here. We're going to begin with a second verse on your screen, Proverbs 10, 16. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Notice that the issue in Proverbs ten sixteen is not how the person has made their money. It's what they do with their money after they have it. That the wage of the righteous leads to life. That after they have their money, the way they manage it, the way they spend it, the way that they do with it, that the way that the person manages their money, that leads to life. But the way of the wicked, what they do with it after they earned it, leads to sin and leads to death. You know, sadly, money has this almost hypnotic spell over us. Is that when we have money, money makes us feel secure. Money makes us feel in control. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel that we're better than other people, or at least positioned in society. And the itch that we have, the urge that we have either for more money, or the urge that we have for preserving our money, inhibits bolder obedience and faith. 
is that the itch that we have to preserve our wealth or to make more, it just inhibits our obedience and our faith. And what Proverbs 10.16 is identifying is that the way that we manage our money is a spiritual matter. Because the way that the righteous manages it, it leads to life. And the way that the wicked manages it, it leads to sin and it leads to death. That the management of your money is a spiritual matter. You see that in Proverbs 20, verse 21. 21, verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now remember here, we've come back to the fool, as we've seen many times in Proverbs this fall. And the fool is not simply the caricature of an idiot. Is that the fool is the one whose heart is set away from the Lord. That the righteous is the man who is seeking the Lord, who is fearing the Lord and growing in wisdom. And the fool is the one who is right in his own eyes and goes in his own direction. And what's identified here is that what happens between that orientation, whether you live your life in fear of God or you live your life for yourself, it gets expressed in the way that you spend your money. It gets expressed in what you do with it. That a foolish man devours it and squanders it. That the management of our money is a spiritual matter. So how does Proverbs call us to manage our money? Well, quite simply, it causes us to manage, to budget, and to spend our money well. And if you're one who is in a position where you don't have to, that the Lord's blessed you with enough financial resources that you can spend whatever you want really without thinking of it, the reality is is that you are spending far more money than you are aware of. Period. You are spending far more money than you are aware of. And I think the situation, our economic situation gives us, insulates us from the need for active management. But those who are righteous do so. Proverbs 27, this is a little bit longer verse here, and the context is an agricultural economy. But listen to what's being said. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears... And the vegetation of the mountains is gathered. The lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food and for the, ho- and for, for the food of your household and the maintenance of your girls. What this passage is identifying is to budget your money and to spend your money well. One of the things that happens for us is that we, because for most everyone in this economy in Southern Maryland, we are either in a salaried position or you are on a paid on an hourly basis and your wage is largely predictable, and your compensation is predictable. And if there is going to be something, uh, and if there is going to be a significant change into your personal compensation, you usually, for most people here, you usually have several weeks, if not months, notice that it's coming um, ahead of time, or, and if something does happen suddenly, you're usually compensated for the sudden change in it through some sort of severance or some sort of other adjustment that's given to you. And that stability of our income insulates us from the necessity of more active financial management. Because here, if you consider this, what's happening in Proverbs chapter 27, is that you have an agricultural-based, someone whose family business is just what they produce in their own land with their own crops and their own, and their own, um, their own flocks. And in, most, in an agricultural economy, consider this, that most of their income Almost their entire annual income is earned within a one- to two-month period. Boom. Lump sum, here it is. 
It is out of that lump sum of money. Imagine if you got your entire paycheck once for this next year. And out of that money, you needed to resolve any debts that you had. Out of that money, you need to manage your money for what's going to happen this coming year. You needed to preserve enough to deal with uh, heartache that would come with pestilence, with disease, with your flocks dying off, that you'd have enough in case the rains didn't come and you were in a famine, that out of that, that you would have to actively manage that lump sum of money so that you had enough to continue over the course of the, course of the year. It was a necessity. And for us, we're insulated that by our, by our salaried society in which we operate within. But the point that Scripture is getting at here is that we who are seeking the Lord would manage our money, um, that, we would, that we would manage our money faithfully. One key thing that Proverbs speaks to again and again about managing our money is to avoid debt. Is that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Again, in the context, this is an agricultural-based economy. The issue here at hand is private loans, not commercial investment. I'm not saying it doesn't speak to that, but the immediate context it's speaking to is, is, is private loans. The borrower is slave to the lender. It's not an absolute prohibition, but a very strong exhortation to avoid debt. Well, why? Why? So that you would be in a position to serve the Lord whenever and however he's calling you to serve. And if you have considerable debt in your life, if you have considerable consumer debt, car debt, you know, considerable student loan debt, you have a master who is not God. You have a master that you are required to pay, pay and to pay off your debt who is not God. And it is right for you to pay that off. But what Scripture is saying is avoid debt. Why? so that you would be free to serve the Lord whenever and however he is calling you to serve him. That if there is a great need, that you would be able to meet that need. That if the Lord is calling you to serve him in a different vocation or a different mission field, that you would be able to do so, that you are not bound to serve another master. And what Scripture is saying here is avoid debt. For those of you here that are in debt, I do want to just let you know that our deacons are ready to journey with you to help develop a plan for financial management for you to get out of debt, to live faithfully before the Lord with the resources that, he's have, that he has for you. And so we encourage you to, you to use that. But a question that I'll ask that I've asked multiple times through this series in Proverbs is this. Of what I've said so far, what does any of this have to do with Jesus? I mean, what does what I say here have to do with Jesus vice versus, you know, a personally, cons- fiscally conservative personal management philosophy? What does this have to do with Jesus? And the issue here in terms of why these pictures of seeking money worshipfully, of earning money honestly, of managing money faithfully, is that the root issue comes down to what it is that you worship, what it is that you revere, what it is that rules your life, where in life do you find your security and your, and your source of comfort? Where do you find your security? And one way that that's, that's, that's shown is this. That's to say, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't find my security in my wealth. I find my security in the Lord, or I find it in this different way. And, you know, I find it in, you know, in these other things. I don't find it in my wealth. Okay. Well, when you are faced with a crisis in your life, your cell phone is out of battery and you broke down on the side of the road in your car. You have a family member who is at school, at, you know, who is across the country, and they, are, and they are sick. 
is your first response to buy your way out of the problem. If I'm broken down, I will, I will pay somebody to get me here. I will, just, I will pay money. I will pay twice the rate that I need to pay because I can buy my way out of this situation. I can buy myself to better health care. I can buy my family out of the emergency. I can buy myself out of this crisis. And again, if God has blessed you and those resources are there, that's not inappropriate necessarily to do so. But if your first response is to buy your way out of your problems, the Lord is not your security. And the fundamental issue that God is identifying here in this management of why the righteous, why these are characteristics of the righteous, because it comes down to what you worship and where you find your significance, who, it is that it, who is it that is the God of your life? And what Proverbs is exhorting us to in seeking wisdom, to seek the fear of the Lord that we would grow wise, that you would worship the one who gives you life and gives you breath and gives you all things for whom the wealth that he has given to you is part of the wealth that he has instowed in creation, that you would worship the one who has given his own son to purchase for you eternal life and life abundant, time without end, that he gave his son to purchase that for you. So it comes down to what it is that we worship. In the book of Proverbs, there's only one prayer listed in the entire book of Proverbs. And the one prayer that's listed in Proverbs comes in chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, and identifies these issues. Two things I ask of you to the Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Lest I be full and say, God, I don't need you. I got this on my own. I earned this all on myself. Lest I be full and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Lest I be poor and say, God's not going to provide for me. I'm up to my own. I got to figure out how to get this by lying and cheating and stealing. Worship the Lord with your wealth. For it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. To seek money worshipfully, to earn money honestly, to manage money faithfully. And there is one more principle for how the Lord makes his people rich. And that will be our focus next week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we pray, Lord, for you to send your spirit to open our hearts to see the wonders of your creation, that you have blessed us, that we would bless others, that through us that mankind and humankind would flourish. And Father, we just pause and say yes and amen, and thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the amazing and extreme financial blessings that you have poured out on this church and on this community. Father, our brothers and sisters around the globe cannot comprehend how much money you have poured out on us. And Lord, we say thank you for the blessings. We recognize that it is not from us, that it is only from you. And Father, as stewards of these blessings, Lord, we ask that your spirit would work in us, that we would honor you with our wealth, that we would honor you with the way that we manage our money, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that your name would be praised, and that this creation would flourish. In Jesus' name, amen.
so practical. God cares for us in such a deep way and gives us 